0: So here we are, Good Friday, uh, and the title of my message this morning is The Coronation of Christ the King. For those of have been tracking with us at Verdun, we've been preaching through a series on the book of Daniel, and a part of the book of Daniel is we are looking at, I guess, a meta-narrative of this idea of a tale of two kingdoms, that Daniel speaks to so much more than just ancient stories, but actually a reality that exists in in Our world in the seen realm and the unseen realm, that there is a battle, and that battle is between the kingdom of God and and the kingdom of the enemy the the kingdom of light, the kingdom of darkness. Um, That there is a true king and there are counterfeit kings. And through that series, I've sort of been pondering this question of what does true power actually look like? How do we know what's true and what's counterfeit? How do we know what's legitimate? and what's counterfeit. How do we know who the true king is? And it got me uh, thinking about last, uh, beginning of last year, my beloved wife, Jo, came home and had bought the kids watches. And those watches looked an awful lot like Apple watches. And so I thought to myself, because certain things you don't say out loud, I was like, what is she doing? (laughs) Spending that much money on on watches for the kids but she knows my thoughts often before I think them and just sort of said don't worry mate they're just Kmart. <laughs> just a couple of bucks from Kmart and here's the thing to the, to the outside eye for all, all intents and purposes they look like an Apple watch they look almost identical to the Apple watch but actually as you start to observe them, as you dig a little bit deeper and you start to explore what it is that they can do and can't do and how they operate, you very quickly realize that one is a counterfeit and the other is true. Because an Apple watch endures and endures and endures and can do a whole lot of great things. A Kmart watch, well, doesn't do a whole lot and doesn't last very long. And that's the nature of a counterfeit. It can look the part, but when you dig, it's exposed. And what we encounter on Good Friday, what we're going to see today is actually a moment where the true king is revealed and the counterfeits are exposed for what they are. And we're going to see that through the gospel writers, Matthew and John, who want us to understand that this is not just an ordinary Roman crucifixion. This is not just like every other crucifixion, this is not just another criminal being tortured, no, 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 there is a God who is sovereign and supreme over all things and he wants his people to realise that this is the coronation of the true king of heaven. So with that said, let us go to the book of Matthew in the 27th chapter from the 27th verse and then we're going to jump over to the, the gospel of John. So Matthew chapter 27 from verse 27 says this, Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand and they knelt in front of him and mocked him, Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and they took the staff and struck him on the head. And again and again, after they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink, mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they Crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots, and sitting down, they kept watch over him. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, King of the Jews. Let's jump over to John chapter 19. From verse 28. Jesus is on the cross. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished... And so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Would you pray with me? Gracious and loving Heavenly Father, would you reveal your truth to us? Would we see you for who you rightly are and whether we've been in church our whole lives, whether someone tricked us into coming today and we don't know what we're doing here. Father God, speak. Your servants are listening, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, this question of, of what's real, how can we trust Jesus? Sometimes maybe the better question is actually why shouldn't we trust him given everything he's done? How do we know that Jesus is who He says He is? Especially when the psalmist, in speaking of this Messiah, this King, in Psalm 24 says, Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is He, this King of glory? The Lord Almighty, He... Is the King of Glory? It's a pertinent question, particularly on a day like today. I think it actually hangs for many people, most with this suffocating gravity. Who is this King of Glory? And if the King of Glory is supposed to be mighty in battle and strong and these sorts of things, where is the strength and the might of a suffering servant dying on a cross? Where is this this mighty in battle being scorned and beaten and whipped at the hands of the Roman empire. Is Jesus really this King of glory? Because to the naked eye, it doesn't appear to be that way. However, when we dig, when we dig and we're prepared to go a little bit deeper, what we find and what we see is astounding. What is revealed to us in the pages of Scripture is intentional and purposeful. Not a word is wasted and we need to understand that Matthew and John here are showing us something. They want us to see something that in the, the Roman government, the way that they were mocking, the way that the soldiers meant to, to put Jesus down, actually God in his sovereignty is speaking about the truth of this true king's nature, about who he is and the reality of his power and his might and his strength. And how much greater that is. And as we see it, what it does, it exposes the counterfeits. It exposes the flaws. And we're going to see this in a minute. This is the coronation of Christ the King. And I don't know if there's anyone here experienced enough in life to have been around when Queen Elizabeth was coronated back in 1953. Anyone? There's a few hands. Praise God for wisdom. Some of you are there, so some of you, when you hear the word coronation, it brings back memories, it triggers you and you think, yeah, I know what this guy's talking about. Many of you are like, I don't really know what he's talking about, but I want to tell you, actually you do, because all of you were a part of a coronation in 2013, the coronation of Queen Elsa of (laughs) Arendelle. The window is open, so is that door. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about, Frozen. We've all been there. We've all watched it. If you haven't watched it, you really should watch it. It's the coronation. It's Coronation Day. And there's great excitement about Coronation Day. The reason there's excitement about Coronation Day is because it's a festival. Coronation Day is full of pomp and ceremony. It's this incredible moment where a person is appointed as a supreme ruler over a particular region, over a kingdom. And the way that that honor and the way that that authority is bestowed is through a whole variety of symbols or symbolic items that speak to a truer and a greater reality that lies underneath it. For example, Queen Elizabeth and her coronation. Now, I wasn't there, but you can still watch it and you can read about it, do your research. Queen Elizabeth, it begins, her coronation actually begins where she jumps in a car and she drives all through the streets of London. And people would lie in the streets as far as the eye could see and all of them were saying, hail the Queen, the, new, you know, the Queen of England. They're honouring her, they're recognising her for who she is. What did we just look about last week? Jesus, King Jesus, what is he doing? He's coming in a procession as the people lie in the street and acknowledge him and welcome him as king. It's a coronation. Passion Week is a coronation. And in the passage we saw today, we see the elements of the coronation. Queen Elizabeth, as she is undergoing this. She hops out of the car and interestingly, she undergoes a Q&A. They ask her questions about how she will rule and the nature of her rule and the power that she will have. And she has to answer correctly, otherwise she forfeits that authority. What do we see in Christ. A Q&A before the leaders, posing questions as he stands as the true king of heaven. And when the question time is done, the Queen, Queen Elizabeth is given a scepter, a, a special staffy type thing that she holds and an orb. And as she holds him, it, it represents the power, the authority and the might that she can wield in that kingdom. Jesus is given... A scepter, a wooden staff like that of a shepherd, to shepherd his people. The Queen of England is given a crown, the crown of England. And as that crown is bestowed upon her head, with that comes a symbol of dominion as the dominion of that kingdom is placed upon her shoulders, is placed upon her head, that she would rule with wisdom. And they're saying, you are assuming the dominion of this kingdom. You are the supreme ruler of this kingdom. And the way that that is represented is by the nature of that crown. It's England's crown, and therefore she is lord over England. And then she is seated upon a throne, the throne being the place of justice, the place where the ruler, the authority of that realm, having uh, assumed dominion, is now able to cast judgment, is able to make laws and, and proclaim laws and decree laws into that kingdom. And because that is the seat, that is the seat of justice, that law stands. There's so much that happens in a coronation as we look at the story of Christ, crucifixion, I believe that the disciples don't want us to see just a weak man dying. No, no, no. They're proclaiming a powerful truth that this is the coronation of the king. And we could be here until five o'clock this afternoon unpacking every single one of those elements. And I'm not going to do that to you because you've got places to be and people to see. But here's what we are going to do we're going to look at three we're going to look at the crown, we're going to look at the cross, and we're going to look at the cry. First and foremost, we come to the crown. The crown speaks of dominion, as we said before. It speaks of the authority. It represents that kingdom. And whoever's head it is placed on, they have authority over that kingdom. Genesis chapter 3 verse 18 reveals that the thorns are the result of a curse. The thorns come from Adam and Eve rebelling against God. God created and it was good and it was perfect and there was no pain. There was no tears there was nothing wrong it was good and then he creates humanity it's very good and then we have this beautiful relationship with God and then something happens where we believe a lie in the garden there's another voice that's entered the garden that says you're not you know we're not image It says you can be like him and we start to think that we want to be God ourselves we set ourselves above above God and we perform an injustice the God who is just the God who has made everything in his justice In love, he's created us for a particular purpose and by forsaking him, we step into sin and the result of sin is a curse. And as a part of the curse, sprouts up thorns on the earth. And here's the fascinating thing. Here we see King Jesus, not crowned with a crown of Rome, not crowned with the crown of England, not crowned with the crown of whatever the nation might be. No, no, no. The soldiers weave together a crown of thorns and they bestow that crown of thorns upon his head. In this moment, this is what's, what's meant for mockery is actually declaring his majesty. It's actually proclaiming that this King Jesus, as he comes to suffer and die, is assuming dominion over the curse. He is taking on that dominion, that which no human being, no man has ever been able to overcome, that which every human being has been subject to since Adam and Eve, this curse of sin and death and depravity and destruction. Jesus is saying, I now have dominion over it. And the way I'm getting that is through sacrifice and suffering. He is assuming dominion over the curse. As the crown of thorns is placed upon his head. That's our king. The bearer of a crown that no one else can bear. That's power. That's true power. And that's true might. Number two, we see the cross. The cross is the throne. I said before that the throne, the symbol of the throne is that it's the seat of judgment. It's the the seat of authority where what is said and what is decreed cannot be revoked. Jesus here is lifted up on a throne that is a cross. And the Bible tells us that it's cursed to anyone who hangs on a tree. Where did the curse come from? It come from a tree. What's Jesus dying on? He's dying on a tree. This is the place, the seat of judgment. And justice, and we see it, it's twofold. The first thing is that substitutionary sacrifice as the wrath of God uh, upon the sin of the world is put upon our Saviour. This is where the judgment of God is poured out, which we deserve. Every single one of us have fallen short. Every single one of us have committed an injustice against God. All of us have sinned and therefore all of us, as the Bible says, for the punishment of sin is death. That is the only logical conclusion for the us, thing as though we've rejected God who is life itself. And so as Christ comes on the cross, he bears the weight of that. And we see this in 2 Corinthians five twenty-one: He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. But there's more to the story, friends. There's so much more. Theologians will call this Christus Victor. And what it's talking about is there's another form of judgment that's being uh, handed out here on the cross. Because I want you to see something. This is so significant. You see in this moment as Jesus, the crowned king who has dominion over the curse, is hanging on that cross. The Bible tells us that he knew no sin. He was without sin. And therefore, because all, all of us have sinned and therefore are worthy of death, this one who knew no sin is not worthy of death. He deserves no death. Death has no right and no claim to Jesus because he has no sin in him. Therefore, by death taking Christ to the grave, death itself is sinning. Death is performing an injustice. It is breaking the code. And because death has sinned and the punishment of sin is death, therefore death is now subject to death. Come on, somebody. <laughs> death is subject to death. Death has come under the curse because it's sinned. And this is what Jesus is doing as He hangs on a cross. He is suffering, yes, at the hands of humanity. Yes, but He's doing so much more. He is claiming His victory. He's claiming His victory by by condemning death from the throne, the place of judgment, the place of authority. He is saying, death, where is your sting? He is condemning death to death. Friends, Sunday's awesome, and we're going to celebrate it, but I need you to understand that Sunday is the receipt of what has already been purchased on Friday. Oh, watch. I've got to time them, and I've got to be careful. Colossians 2, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, indebtedness, Legal indebtedness. This is a legal transaction. This is why we need a throne which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, what has he done? He's made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The triumph is not just on Sunday. The triumph is on Friday. The triumph is him elevated as Lord over the curse from his throne declaring power over that which no earthly king has ever had dominion. Come on. He's declaring that I am Lord over the curse and it is done, which we get to the cry. We get to the cry. Jesus says, it is finished. He doesn't say it's going to be finished. He doesn't say, I'm going to come back in X number of years and it will be finished. No, he says, it is finished. What is the cry? The cry is the decree from the throne. The cry is the decree. When kings made decrees, it was like the signet ring seal that went on that decree and it went out to all the nations of the world and that was final and true. Could not be revoked. Jesus declaring it is finished is his decree from the throne as Lord over the curse saying it is done. Death is done. Death is done for anyone who would come to me, for anyone who would come and come under my lordship, who would bow their knee to me as the true King of heaven. Anyone who would acknowledge my power and my might. This is Jesus warring against death. He is mighty in battle. He is mighty to save. He is strong and mighty. The kings of the world demonstrate their power by taking over cities and nations and continents even and ruling over people, but that shows and exposes them for who they are. Because in order to gain power, they have to take from everyone, consume from everything. The only reason someone would take is because they lack. Jesus doesn't have to take anything. He gives freely out of His fullness because everything is His and therefore He doesn't need anything from anyone. It's the revelation of true power. Someone who is truly powerful has no need to consume. They just give. It's the story of creation. God It's a story of Jesus' ministry from the beginning. He came in humility. He gave. It's an upside down kingdom, but it's a glorious kingdom. It's an eternal kingdom that will endure forever and ever and ever. And Jesus is saying, it's finished, it's done, it's sealed, it's set in stone because I am the coronated King of heaven. Ben, you can come up because we have to close. Jesus is King. Good Friday is not a day that exposes the humanity in Christ, it is a day that reveals the deity of Christ. It's a day that reveals his true power and his true might and his true glory as he takes War against that which no earthly king has ever warred against, and it is a kingdom that will endure forever. All the kings of the earth have come and gone and failed, and yet our king stands firm forever. King Jesus, and it leaves us with an interesting question. What will you do? What will we do with King Jesus? The old hymn writer said it like this. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. Where every realm of nature mine, my gift would still be far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life. Tim Keller puts it in a slightly more modern way. Either you're going to have to kill Jesus or you're going to have to crown him. The one thing you can't do is say he was an interesting guy. The way that he lived won't allow that. You either have to kill him or you have to crown him. To kill him is to come back under the curse and chase after the counterfeit kings of this earth. To crown him is to come under His wings, to come under His covering, to come under His blood, to come under His shelter, so that when we stand there on that final day and and the Lord of heaven looks at us, He does not see us, He sees the Son. He sees the righteousness that is Christ. He sees His life and He says, well done, well done, well done. What will you do with King Jesus? Will you be like kings of the earth who reject him and chase after their own power and might will you be like the soldiers who mocked him because they didn't understand him will we be like the crowd who stood there and observed what was going on passively or will we be like those who filled by the power of his spirit sit at his feet, worship him as king and say, yes, Lord, I am yours. So with that said, I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet. And I'm going to invite you to bow before King Jesus. And I can't do this without actually offering an opportunity if there's anyone in this room who like I said, you know, maybe you just rocked up and you're not quite sure why you're here. Maybe you've never made a decision to follow King Jesus. Maybe you've never understood the, the true nature of our King. Maybe you've looked at this day and thought, why would a King suffer and die? And today, if you're in that place where you're like, I want to give my life to King Jesus. I want to surrender my life to King Jesus. If that's you, I just want you to pop your hand up somewhere in this room and I'd love to pray with you. Loving Heavenly Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. Thank you that you have redeemed us from the curse of sin and death. Where, O death, is your victory? Where is your sting? All of it now under the command of the true King of glory, Jesus Christ. So Lord, we come and we declare all hail King Jesus. We bow our knee before you and we worship you. In Jesus' name, all God's children say. So if you would like to respond physically, because sometimes that's what we need to do, I want to invite you. There's plenty of space at the front. Come and bow your knee to King Jesus. Come and kneel before him. We're going to sing a great song. We'll hail King Jesus. Let's worship our great God. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, Find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.